Hello, and welcome to Festival of the Mind. In this episode, Dr Chris Montgomery from the School of English discusses the hidden understanding of language. What do you think about when you hear? What do you feel? What stands out when you listen to voices? There was once a poor shepherd boy who used to watch his flocks in the fields next to a dark forest near the foot of a mountain. One hot afternoon, he thought up a good plan to get some company for himself and also have a little fun. Can you tell where the speaker was from? This podcast is about how we work out where people come from as they speak, whether we're better at detecting this than computers, and why this might matter to us all. We all know how important the way in which we speak is. We might have been told off by parents or teachers for using the wrong words, or for speaking in particular ways at the wrong time, for example. We might also recognise that we use a certain accent for specific things, like answering the phone or in a job interview. These examples show us that the language we use is really flexible and that we do different things with it at different times. You probably realise, though, that you also have a particular way of using words, grammar and accent that doesn't change as much depending on the circumstances. This is because we all have an accent and many of us will also use certain words and phrases that are different from those used by other people too. All of this can be regional and can therefore be covered by the term dialect. Dialects are systematic patterns of language use that vary from place to place. You'll no doubt be aware of the rough time many people who use regional varieties in public have. We can see stories in the news and on social media all the time about specific people who use particular accents, words and phrases. The Channel 4 presenter Steph McGovern, for example, discusses a constant negative obsession with her Middlesbrough accent when she worked at the BBC. Alex Scott, the former professional footballer, has experienced online abuse about her dialect use too. These are just two examples of the ways in which regional language use can be stigmatised, and there are many more, some of which you may have personally experienced. Why then do people still use regional dialects? One reason is that language is really important for people to signal their identity and belonging to places, to groups, to other meaningful social categories. If you think about it, claiming that you belong to some group or place is a lot more difficult if your language doesn't fit. So, the link between language and identity is one important reason that people still use regional dialects, despite the potential stigma of doing so. Language changes all of the time, though. You only need to think about the words you might use to describe your approval of something. I'm about 40 and I might use the word cool. People much older than me would have a different word, something like groovy or swell. Young people will have their own words too, like lit, and new ones will come along all the time. Change in regional language is no different, as you'll probably have experienced when talking to older people in your area. You might think you find them hard to understand when they speak, or that they have words for things that are different to yours, or even that they construct their sentences a little differently to you. Change in regional dialects has been studied for over a hundred years in Britain, with the aim of preserving older forms of language, 
as well as finding out how and why change happens. What is really interesting, though, is that despite changing language, people still have regional differences. These regional differences might be less obvious than before. So where it was once perhaps possible to tell the difference between speakers from village to village, this probably isn't doable now. But there's plenty of evidence that shows that people will still use specific language features to mark them out as different to those in other areas. Marking out this difference can be really important when there are other social and cultural divisions that a person might want to signal. We're going to play a quick game now. I'll play two speakers who've each been asked to read the same word twice. As you listen, think about the differences between the two speakers' pronunciation of the word, and then consider what you associate with those different pronunciations. Bath. 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 What did you think? I'm sure you all heard the word bath. You could probably hear a difference in the vowels of the two speakers. The first speaker had a longer vowel, a bit like ah, and the second speaker had a short vowel, something like ah. There are some other differences too, so well done if you spotted them. Now, if you're a native speaker of British English, as well as noticing the differences between the speakers, you also probably had some associations that went along with those different vowels, and you'd most likely have thought about those, even if I hadn't asked you to focus on them. For the first speaker, you might have thought they were a little posh, and the second speaker, perhaps a bit less so. But the most likely thing you probably associated with the two vowels was north versus south. North and south are really important concepts in Britain, but especially so in England. Barely a week goes by without the divide between the two regions being discussed, from economic disparity, different health outcomes, pandemic response and recovery, levelling up, to the northern powerhouse. The north-south divide is of course really shorthand for a much more complex picture, but the very existence of this shorthand means that the two regions are often seen in opposition to each other. Coincidentally, there are features of language that show differences between Northern England and Southern England. We've already heard one of them, the vowel in words like bath. Another is the vowel in words like cup or run, which in the North will sound like the vowel in foot, as in my accents. In the South, the vowel in words like foot are different to those in cup and run. The association between the two regions and accent features like these is really strong and contributes to the maintenance of distinctions in language. Over the past couple of decades, linguists studying accent and dialect variation have noticed that across the north of England, the differences between some dialects are getting smaller especially for younger speakers who identify as female. This has led some researchers to talk about the slow formation of a new dialect of English called General Northern English. As you remember from earlier, the importance of the difference between the North and the South is probably a good reason why we're not looking at a new dialect called General English. If the differences between the dialects in the North of England are getting smaller, 
is it still possible to tell them apart? Linguists working at the University of Manchester set out to ask just this question a couple of years ago. To do this, they used lots of voice recordings of young women from five different places in the north, reading the classic cautionary tale of The Boy Who Cried Wolf. You heard an example of a bit of the type of recording they use right at the start of this podcast. And I'm now going to play the whole recording for you, followed by another recording of a speaker from the south of England. As you listen to the recordings, see if you can work out where precisely the speaker is from and try to figure out which specific accent features are helping you to do this. Don't worry, I'll let you know where the speakers are from later in the podcast. There was once a poor shepherd boy who used to watch his flocks in the fields next to a dark forest near the foot of a mountain. One hot afternoon, he thought up a good plan to get some company for himself and also have a little fun. Raising his fist in the air, he ran down to the village shouting, Wolf! Wolf! As soon as they heard him, the villagers all rushed from their homes, full of concern for his safety, and two of his cousins even stayed with him for a short while. This gave the boy so much pleasure that a few days later he tried exactly the same trick again, and once more he was successful. However, not long after, a wolf that had just escaped from the zoo was looking for a change from its usual diet of chicken and duck. So, overcoming its fear of being shot, it actually did come out from the forest and began to threaten the sheep. Racing down to the village, the boy of course cried out even louder than before. Unfortunately, as all the villagers were convinced that he was trying to fill them a third time, they told him, go away and don't bother us again. And so the wolf had a feast. There once was a poor shepherd boy who used to watch his flocks in the fields next to a dark forest near the foot of a mountain. One hot afternoon, he thought up a good plan to get some company for himself and also have a little fun. Raising his fist in the air, he ran down to the village shouting, Wolf! Wolf! As soon as they heard him, the villagers all rushed from their homes, full of concern for his safety, and two of his cousins even stayed with him for a short while. This gave the boys so much pleasure that a few days later he tried exactly the same trick again, and once more he was successful. However, not long after, a wolf that had just escaped from the zoo was looking for a change from its usual diet of chicken and duck. So, overcoming its fear of being shot, it actually did come out from the forest and began to threaten the sheep. Racing down to the village, the boy of course cried out even louder than before. Unfortunately, as all the villagers were convinced that he was trying to fool them a third time, they told him, Go away and don't bother us again. And so the wolf had a feast. What did you hear? From my research using similar voice samples, if you're from England, depending on whether you're from the north or the south, you probably paid attention to the pronunciation of the words afternoon, company, cousins and duck in one or other of the recordings. For the first speaker, you might also have paid attention to the final sound in the word safety. This sounded more like I for this speaker compared to E for the second speaker. This meant that the first speaker said something like safety and the second said safety. 
You might also have picked up on the different ways the speakers pronounce the word hot. The second speaker pronounced the final consonant in that vowel as t, whereas the first one you used a glottal stop. This meant that you would have heard hot for speaker one and hot for speaker two. The first speaker had a different vowel in the word dark to that of the second speaker. So we had something like dark for her and dark for the other person. There were also plenty of other differences in the way in which the two speakers sounded, not restricted to their accent features. The second speaker was slower than the first, for example. And where were the speakers from? Well, both are women of a similar age and education level, and both now live in Sheffield. However, the first speaker was brought up in Bolton in Greater Manchester, and the second speaker was brought up in Herefordshire. Where you grow up is really important to how you end up sounding, and we could really hear that for our two speakers. Let's head back to the University of Manchester study now. As you'll recall, the researchers there wanted to know if it was possible to tell speakers apart given the rise of general Northern English. They used recordings of young women from Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Liverpool, Sheffield, Leeds and Manchester to test this. All the recordings were of the speakers reading The Boy Who Cried Wolf. The Manchester researchers used various machine learning techniques to see if a computer was able to tell the speakers apart. The results showed that the computer was not able to reliably tell speakers from Manchester, Leeds and Sheffield apart. For Newcastle and Liverpool, there was a different picture, and speakers from these places were more reliably identified correctly by the computer. The Manchester study was widely reported as signalling the death of regional dialect differences across large parts of the North. Despite this, though, the computer did show that there were important differences between the speakers, but that these differences were found in pronunciations of words that were not always studied by linguists. So then, we have a study that seems to prove that dialect differences are becoming less sharp, at least according to computers. And if speakers can be told apart, it's due to things that researchers have paid less attention to. But what happens when we ask real listeners? Are they better than computers at telling where people are from? And what do they pay attention to as they're trying to work all of this out? You've already done this, of course, so you know what a tricky task it might be to do. Earlier this year, I looked at this question and asked 100 people to listen to speakers from Newcastle-upon-Tyne, Liverpool, Sheffield, Leeds and Manchester, just as the computer had done, and to see if they could tell where the speakers were from. They were also asked to say what they paid attention to as they listened to each speaker. In the Reactionator exhibition in the Futurecade, you can listen to some of the samples that people heard in my experiment and see the results of what listeners paid attention to as they listened. And also find out whether you are better than a computer at working out where the person you've heard comes from. My results showed that listeners were not really very good at all at accurately saying where a speaker came from if they heard a voice from Sheffield, Leeds or Manchester. In fact, they were much worse than the computer in the Manchester study and really seemed just to guess where the speaker was from. My listeners were much better for speakers from Newcastle and Liverpool, though, and better even than the computer in the University of Manchester study. What does this tell us about how listeners work out where somebody is from based on what they hear?
Well, we can tell from the results of my research that listeners were paying attention to different accent features for different speakers. So they didn't hear them all as just northern, as we might assume from the idea of general northern English. Instead, it seems that listeners didn't really have very strong links between the things they were paying attention to and ideas of particular places, unless these were things really strongly associated with specific locations. For Liverpool, it was things like the pronunciation of duck as duh. For Newcastle, the pronunciation of poor as poor was important for listeners. This is no surprise, because the Liverpool and Newcastle accents are both really well known, and the others in the study are not. Perhaps this can tell us that all of the accents are a little more distinctive than we might think they are if we just heard about the Manchester study, but that a dialect has to be pretty well known in order for listeners to be able to say with confidence where a speaker is from. Why does this all matter? Well, we've seen earlier in this podcast that language is really important to people, that they can use it in flexible ways, and that identity and a person's language use are really closely related. If people can no longer tell where someone is from based on their language use, this might mean that people have to signal their identity in different ways. Alternatively, if listeners don't interpret the language they're hearing in terms of region or place, because of the values we've seen that people give to language, regional language could be interpreted as incorrect, lazy or worse. We've seen that this happens already, so this could increase the real difficulties that people who use particular forms of language experience, heightening the inequality we already see in society. In the end, we all use language in subtly different ways to each other. Whether this is interpreted as regional or not, we've seen over the course of this podcast that language is used to do more than simply communicate information. And the more we know about how language does this, the better and more tolerant we'll all learn to be. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe. We love to hear your thoughts and responses on social media. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook.